Yo, 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 yo. This is Rob Cruz on Jamboree Radio. Why the beep should I care? Everybody has worked at a place where management or the boss has asked or done things that they didn't agree with, but they weren't in a financial position to say something about it because they still have to put food on the table. They still have to pay their bills. It was definitely rough for a little bit. I mean, we've had, I've had Antifa find out where I live and leave, you know, I have young children and leave, uh, you know, cookies with a note from Antifa, like at the front door. I wouldn't have became who I am today with a soft message. It had to be that that tough love, maybe because the culture I grew up in. I, you know what I'm saying? That the, the tough love is what gets it, not the, not the softness. But then I found God, then I decided to truly, like, give my my art the gift god gave me i started giving that back to god one of the subjects that keeps coming up in american culture is cancel culture so being the old timer that i am now started looking up what was kind of the first time cancel culture or one of the bigger times cancel culture at least in the chicagoland area showed its face and the first thing that came up in my google search was disco demolition night where the transition of disco to hard rock in the 80s happened. It happened at Comiskey Park, or at the time Comiskey Park, which is now guaranteed rape. Basically a bunch of people came out, burned vinyl records in the middle of the field, turned into kind of a shit show, so to speak. And the rest is all documented in the history books. And I think today, COVID was one of the main sparking factors to bringing cancel culture back. I know we've had other things like the Me Too movement, which is pretty serious in, in certain aspects, but cancel culture based on who you believe or who you like and what you believe started really happening more during this COVID period and, and really since Trump came into existence. I don't think we had a lot of cancel culture during the Obama administration. One example I thought was pretty ironic was Fortune Magazine. Fortune Magazine in June of 2020 called for the boycott of Goya. And this is a direct quote. The Goya boycott isn't an example of cancel culture. It's the free market at work. If you don't remember what happened with Goya, CEO Robert Unani said in a meeting when they were trying to figure out DACA at the time with Trump, we are truly blessed to have a leader like President Trump. The minute he said that, Fortune Magazine and other media outlets basically, in the proverbial sense, took their gun and pointed it at him. The irony of it, as I mentioned before, is in July of 2023, in the same subject of Bud Light, that Fortune took cancel culture is affecting jobs. So cancel culture didn't affect jobs when you asked Goya to be part of the free market, but now it's affecting jobs because Bud Light is losing its revenue share and had to let a bunch of people go. The hypocrisy of cancel culture, especially in left-wing media, is you know being pointed out all over the place now. And probably a little late to the game on that, but we're seeing all these media outlets constantly defend liberal perspectives when it comes to cancel culture. Now, we also have cancel culture in our own you know, Republican side of things. If you're a Republican and you're not a far-right-wing Christian, those people want to cancel you out or they don't want to have you have as much say. Now, I understand why they feel that way and I understand why the opposite is true. Cancel culture has become too easy to implement. 
it's become too easy to say. And Fortune is right on the part that canceling major companies is people losing jobs that might not agree with what their company's doing. Everybody has worked at a place where management or the boss has asked or done things that they didn't agree with, but they weren't in a financial position to say something about it because they still have to put food on the table. They still have to pay their bills. One of the guys that we're gonna to talk to today and my really close friend here, producer James, um, talking about their cancel culture story when they came out for President Trump because they liked that he was not willing to continue in war. And they were at the age of the time where friends, or relatives were at that war soldier age and they didn't want to see that happening you know another guy we're going to talk to in this episode is Bryson Gray Bryson has strong Christian beliefs very strong faith and has his own versions of cancel culture from outlets that are taking his music off their charts I think it was um, Spotify Apple, they were banning some of his songs. Whether you like his songs or not, depending on where you're from and where and who you are, can canceling music without extreme violent rhetoric is cancel culture, in my opinion. As we start to begin the journey down cancel culture, you know, we want to look at other examples that are in the media, in entertainment, because that's where this seems to all come from. You know, it's if you don't like an artist, let's cancel them. If you don't like a band, let's cancel them. You don't like a show, let's cancel it. And I've, I've heard even from, from watching TV shows like Bill Maher, who, you know, is pretty much old school liberal, not a leftist, has his issues with woke as well, talks about canceling, the cancel culture is only going to lead to more negative effects. And I agree with that. Joe Rogan recently had Bill Maher on his show at the time we recorded it and talked about woke and how woke does use cancel culture as a method to get their agenda through, to get their positions known. One of the things I have recently, and it's kind of circulated out of the loop news, was, was Lizzo, the, the famous artist. She did something that she shouldn't have done. She bullied some of the people that are working for her into doing perversive sexual type things. And she, her show got canceled, but I don't see any Fortune magazine articles about how all the people who set up her shows, work on her shows behind the scene, dancers, producers, agents, um, food and beverage industries, how they lost their jobs. It was kind of just here today, gone tomorrow. So the purpose of our episode today is to discuss in person and to discuss with two guys that I really gotten to know very well about their backgrounds, how their cultures, where they came from, and how they dealt with different versions of cancel culture. For the record, I've never been canceled. I've never had somebody say, don't listen to him, don't talk to him. I've probably been someone who's been more on the side of, hey, don't talk to him. Hey, don't listen to them. And at the same time, as I'm taking a deeper perspective in this, I think I was wrong about that. I think I was letting my emotions get the better of me. And it was something that now that I'm looking back on, not real proud of if I ever did any cancel culture activities. I, I do disagree with a lot of the things that I might've said, hey, I wanna get that canceled. But does that give me the right to create vitriol for them? Does it give me the right to create 
uh, people losing their jobs. Now, personally, I never drank Bud Light to begin with, you know, or anything like that, but did I stop shopping at Target because of some of the things they put out there? After a while, not really, because there's Target right down the street from my house, and it's what I need to get my, my stuff. Now, am I a bad Republican for it? I don't know. Do I care? Not really, because I need things just like everybody else does to get through whatever it is that you're going through. With that being said, you know, the, the cancel culture, I think, is going to be an episode where we're really just talking to people that are in this industry, trying to find their way on how we can get back to just, do you like my music? Great. If you don't like my music, don't listen to it. So, um, comes to the end of the road here a little bit on our first season. Uh, oh. You're talking with producer James, which yeah. is uh, IE, Milk and Cooks. Some DJs that are really well known in the conservative circles. Obviously, we've become friends now over the time that we've met each other. Um, I think producer James still sounds cooler than Malkin Cooks, but that's yeah. just me. Um, but for people who don't really know or are meeting or hearing about Malkin Cooks for the first time, tell us a little bit about uh, what you guys have been up to or what you what you did and what you're yeah. up to. Um, yeah, so I'm James, uh, one half of Milk and Cooks, and I've, I have an a, identical twin brother named Paul. And uh, basically, we grew up in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. We went to school at the University of Illinois. And then as a freshman, I had had a burning passion to learn about DJing. So I took that on as my passion project as a freshman in college, uh, where we kind of became the first student DJs on campus and kind of exploded from there. I taught my brother. All at the same time, we were producing music ourselves, electronic music produced, you know, on the computer. And we basically spent a decade from, you know, 18 to 28 years old, expanding throughout the Midwest, then eventually around throughout the country. And then we played around the world, you know, in about seven different countries, all through our own music and our own DJing. And we did a lot of our own booking. We had a few people help us help us on the management side. You know, it was an it was an awesome story and an awesome run. Uh, that kind of built the path for where me and my brother are both now. Incredible experiences, traveling the world, you know, doing what we love. And it kind of came to a climax um, in 2016, 2016 to 2020, around the Trump years. We're really at the peak of our career and then came out and told everyone that we were voting for Trump. And well, yeah, yeah, let me, so, yeah, let me stop you there. So it's not uncommon for artists to come out for politicians or issues that they see as uh, important to them or as important to the people that they either love or care about. What caused you to come out publicly to talk about Trump? Basically, it, it kind of all started like we took the red pill, I guess, in high school, me and my friends were all watching the Zeitgeist documentary, you know, about who runs the world and the Illuminati and all this. And then 9-11 was a huge wake up call because, you know, however you feel about 9-11, um, something's up there. And we didn't really get the full story. So it kind of started us down a road of being, I guess you could say, conspiracy theorists that ended up, you know, <laughs> being right about a lot of stuff. And that's kind of what got us into music and DJing and the entertainment world was our full time thing. But on the side, I've always been into paranormal stuff, UFOs, aliens, you know, what the, the secret mysteries of the world, which also included a lot about politics and all that. And when Trump came along, it kind of felt like we were, you know, we were watching, we've been watching InfoWars since we were 18 years old. Alex Jones, you know, as crazy as it is, whatever. He's wrong about a lot. He's right about a lot. When Trump came along, it kind of felt like someone was actually saying out loud, 
all of the stuff that was really happening in regards to the Clintons and, you know, how politics ran and how corrupt it was. And he immediately felt like the right guy. And we literally weren't scared to risk our entire career or finances or whatever. I'm saying what we thought was true and being true to ourselves because we saw everyone around us really fast, rapid fire, picking sides. You know, Trump was like a, I don't know what they call it, a bellwether, right? And you got to pick a side. Um, And it felt like kind of, you know, similar to what's going on with the Israel and Hamas. It's like this weird, like, pick a side right now. It's a polarizing, Um, it's a polarizing situation. It's a polarizing situation. It silences violence, right? And me and my brother were like, we don't give a fuck. Um, You know, like Trump's like the Trump's seems like legit. He seems less corrupt and less like a piece of shit than the rest of the politicians who are two wings to the same plane. The WWE, whatever you want to call it. So that's kind of where it all went. You know, we just came out about it. I don't know. It seemed inevitable. Like we got canceled where they tried to cancel us. They tried to cancel us. So speak like, so speaking of that, like I, I caught, I, I, I learned about you guys reading a political article as we were looking for someone to kind of help us with our GOP jamboree, uh, hence, yeah. you know, GOP jamboree radio. Right. right, right and we, right. we noticed that you guys were in Politico and you were from Chicagoland area. One thing that I caught that caught our attention was is in one of the statements you made in that article was you guys were you guys were for Trump because he didn't want war, right? Yeah. All the other presidents were touting, you know, war one way or another. And he was kind of coming out saying, I'm going to bring everyone home. He talked about Bush. He talked about Obama. He, he didn't he didn't save you or save criticism for you because you were a Republican, in his opinion. He called you what you were, right? You come out and you, you guys kind of say, we don't, we like Trump because he's talking about the things that we're talking about. We like Trump because he doesn't, you know, you guys were at that war age, I'd imagine, or some of your friends might've been in that war scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me what happens now. You're, you guys grow in popularity. You come out for Trump. It's not popular. What happens next? Yeah. Um, and and that's, the, that's the truth. You know, now I've almost forgot about, you know, but one of the main things was, you know, and he did bring people back from Afghanistan and you know, considering, you know, Biden now, he is like a peacetime president, right? So we come out for Trump and it was, I mean, it, everything happens for a reason. It was, it was almost like all, all of the people that I knew, because like throughout high school, we were always athletes and in college, you know, popular people, but very polarizing people, my brother and I. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, secretly hated us. A lot of people publicly loved us. It was, it was not surprising at all because it was a lot of these people that I felt like had always been fake because we were successful in music and DJing and, you know, wanted to collaborate, whatever. It finally gave them a reason where they could turn and spit out the fucking venom about how much of, uh, you know, Nazi pieces of shit we were. When we made the first Facebook post, the first video about Trump, the majority of Chicago, the majority of the entertainment city, uh, entertainment, you know, world of Chicago, like the people there uh they all were just like fuck milk and cooks like that's how it was it was like fuck these guys um you know a lot of venues didn't want to work with us in chicago it kind of i mean it's funny because it steered our life into a new direction but we did get a like we got a lot of shows that were basically people stopped putting us on things people stopped wanting to wanting to you know do remixes or do songs with us because of the trump shit and there was a full-on contract, you know, that we had got canceled at, you know, Dirty Nellies in our hometown of Palatine. Like, we used to do these hometown shows, and they, like, you know, it's our hometown. Like, we would, it's not some some big crazy thing, but we would throw an awesome party there. And we had set up a summer residency, I think, like, 12 weeks in a row for great money. 
And they found out that we were affiliated with Mike Cernovich and A Night for Freedom and basically canceled the whole thing and, you know, pulled all the promo, which I feel like I could call the ACLU or some shit. But, uh, (laughs) um, you know, we had a contract. And then because of my political beliefs, um, you know, they pulled this thing out. So it was definitely rough for a little bit. I mean, we've had I've had Antifa find out where I live and leave. You know, I have young children and leave. uh you know, cookies with a note from Antifa, like at the front door. Um, you know, we've had people, you know, stalk us, follow us around. It's been a, a crazy ride, but like, you know, they tried to cancel us. Then there was this huge shift towards, you know, thankfully towards like the political realm where a lot of people noticed because we had, we got to the exact level of popularity where you couldn't fully cancel us, but it, we also weren't too big to cancel. You know, we were in this like, we never crossed into like the hyper, you know, stardom. We got very popular. We were very big from Chicago. We traveled the world. Um, we were just in this sweet spot where like no one really gave a fuck, but a, a lot of people locally cared. But at least our social media was big enough. Thank- thankfully, I mean, all these things we did in our past and grinded out, like all, you know, happened for a reason. And um, basically after, you know, it's the same story that everyone has. They try to, you know, but some people have, you know, businesses that, if you're in a liberal town and you have like a, you know, a butcher or like your, a local grocery store and they try to cancel you, people can stand outside your store. No one's going to go there. Like it's fucked up for us. It was kind of like this gray area where, you know, we had the Internet at our disposal so we could travel still. Um, we could link up with different, different people. And through the, you know, canceling and through you meeting you at the Jamboree, we started to build relationships with a lot of people in the conservative world. DJ. We did American Priority Fest, and and it all started with a night for freedom. Mike Cernovich. Mike Cernovich is the guy that put us on the political map, for sure. And Mike Cernovich is a, an OG. Ever, if you don't know who he is, I mean, everyone knows who he is. He's the yeah. guy who's for, you know, the Epstein uh, the Epstein files. And then, you know, we scored, we scored some music in his documentary for Hoaxed. You know, tons of stuff. There's a lot of back backside stuff that's going on. But um, uh, we basically, you know, went full circle from... Being Trump guys in Chicago to, you know, DJing after President Trump speaks at CPAC, you know, having to like link up with the Secret Service, you know, in the green room. So it's been a pretty cool and fun ride. <laughs> yeah, right. No. So and, and and speaking of Trump, right, it's it's the it's the elephant in the room, you know, and pun intended. It seems like it's OK. Cancel someone if you are if you are affiliated with Trump. Like, I don't know if you remember the story, but the Goya president. Uh, I think his name is Rob. Also, he he gets can you know attempted to be canceled because he says Trump's doing a great job and he'd like to see him do more. And ironically, he doesn't end up getting canceled, right? Well, you um, can't. I mean, you have a lot of people that speak that yap and yap on social media. They don't put their money where their mouth is, and you don't know what type of juggernaut you're. Trump's not dumb. He's not going to let a, a a guy like Goya come up on stage with him and not know that. Goya is 80% of every Latin household in in America. Yeah. And the products don't taste the same. I'm I'm da- I'm damn near an honorary Mexican. Yes, you Look, are. You're 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 a, you're a Nazi Mexican now. <laughs> right, exactly. My my wife is Mexican, my children are bilingual, I'm fluent in Spanish. I'm I've been back and forth in Mexico or whatever. I eat cook Mexican food, all this stuff. And the Goya products are the best products. Yes, so they are. Gonna, you know, when you talk about Mexican culture, in food, it, that was a funny one. It was great. It was like, go ahead and try. But like, you know, Goya is not Goyan anywhere. 
<laughs> so, so let me ask you this question. It's something I think people forget to ask afterwards, right? Do you regret coming out for Trump and kind of being as public as you were? And, and now that you've, now that you've been through it, right? Do yeah, you regret it. it? And number two, here's the second question. Since you've been a victim of it, so to speak, you know, how, however it affected you, is yeah. it something that we should hold back on regardless of who, what we political beliefs we have? Um, so number one, I go, I have had phases of regretting versus not regretting. Um, you know, at this point in my life, um, I don't regret it. And, you know, I'm 32, have three children. Like, it's kind of like you, you see things as, you know, was that bad? Maybe. Was that good? Maybe. You just don't know how it's going to affect and open up your life in different ways. So at this point in my life, I don't regret it, but I have had stages where I felt like I really regretted it. And what I, it's such a weird thing because, okay, do I regret being, do I regret the path that my public support for Trump pushed me onto based on the way people reacted to me? No, but I do regret, you know, being so damn hyped up about Trump on social media and getting into so much, you know, I, I, I was expending a lot of energy, you know, fucking trying to correct people on Facebook statuses. And, you know, like, <laughs> Good luck with that. Good luck with like, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, do I, I regret like being so gung ho, like about politics in general. Cause I, you know, I know, you know, my boy Rob here is, you know, uh, ran for office is going to run for office. I'm like the anti-politics guy. So it's, it's kind of embarrassing for me to look at and be like, you know, I was ranting and raving about like politics and I'm like a music guy, you know, and a lot of my, my, a lot of our fans are like, yo, I'm in the middle. Can you guys get back to making music? You know, I don't really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's, what they, that's what they liked you, right? I mean, I have, I listen to tons of guys who are probably liberal, like Dave Matthews, one of my favorite musicians. We don't see anything close eye to eye on that. And I get it from the fans perspective. So yeah. fast forward now we're, we're. Well, and what the, what was the part two is, uh, do well, I. Well, the part two was. Well, do I think that uh, should we still cancel people? Was that what you're saying? Well, it seems like we're so eager to do it now, doesn't yeah, it? I, I mean, okay. So, and I this is what I was thinking about before we hopped on here was it seems to me that um, you know the cancel culture is it's the I mean some people say you know the person who screams the loudest has the most to hide. It feels almost like a classroom tactic where. You want Tommy to get in trouble. You you're you you see Tommy mess up mess up a little bit. You see Tommy, you know, accidentally take two pencils. So you immediately tell the teacher all that because she doesn't know that you took three dollars. So she didn't find out you took three dollars from the donation bin. So it's like these people are using cancel culture where you're trying to flush all the way. If you could be the person who's pointing the finger, you're saying that you're using that as a mascara. And if you're the one pointing the finger, you have the moral moral high ground. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people even though even though we're all sinners, right? Right, right. And these and and it gives people a temporary relief of their guilt of you know the 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 fucked up nasty shit they did that weekend. (laughs) (laughs) If you can cancel someone with your friends, if you can if you can cancel someone over text with your girlfriend, you know she's not gonna she's not gonna maybe it gives you a few days to cover up that you cheated on her. Um, you know, like if that's what I get it, I get it. It's it's an insecurity blocker. Yeah, I mean, whatever you got and, going on. So, and, and right. I, and it, right. And it's also like, and that's for the, that's for the lemmings, right? That's for like the people who aren't actually in control. And then the cancel culture for, you know, the people who are actually running stuff like social media and, you know, corporations and government, there's a more bigger hand at play, which is kind of overall, 
government censorship domination and they're kind of two worlds to cancel culture, you know? Yeah, there is. It's almost like, what can we get away with? Like, can we cancel this guy for this so that, you know, we can keep, we can continually remove people from society, from banking, from using this stuff and clamp down tighter on them while letting the rest of the, you know, the little lemmings that push this stuff along, uh, push it along socially and culturally, letting them believe that it's just, a, you know, a moral thing and that they're the ones that are actually, you know, controlling. Bryson Gray, my, my buddy, my homie. Yes, sir. He's, uh, he's, he's got a lot of opinions, which is great. He makes great music. We've had a couple of shows. Um, we're here with producer James. Feels like a little reunion. So so let's start with obviously one of the songs that put you on the map, right? Donald Trump was your president. And I've heard, uh, you know, going all the way back to, you know, you making music before that. That's what I want to talk about with you. And 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 what was your musical life before you kind of, you know, what you describe as finding God and, and, and turning your life over to Jesus? Because I've seen you with Soldier Boy, who's like my favorite rapper of all yeah. time. I came out my wedding to Soldier Boy, you know. So tell me a little bit about that. People don't know much about that. So, uh, fun fact, I actually quit football because that performance was Soulja Boy. Um, yeah, my dad did not. My dad was really heavy in the sports, and I, uh, I played running back. I actually ran a 4-4-40, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I was, I was a running back, but I, I chose music. That's what I wanted to do. I've, I've always been popular in music. I'm talking about, I won rapper of the year, my eighth grade year, fifth grade year. Like music has just always been what what I've done. I had a song to go viral in high school on the internet before viral was even a word, called about McDonald's. Um, I, I was in a rap group called Three Three Six Boys, and uh, me and one of the other members named Luke, who's actually who actually became very popular. He actually has a platinum song, you know what I'm saying? But um, we made a song about McDonald's called Mickey D's. You probably can still find it like on YouTube, but it was on YouTube when YouTube wasn't like really a thing. There was other websites. I forgot the names of them. There was other websites where like music MySpace. was like, people, like a MySpace. It, my, uh, it went viral on MySpace too, but it was, it was a few other websites where everybody got their music from. And uh, it had like a million views on it. Like I'm talking about like I was going viral before it was a thing. And uh, but it also went viral locally, which is different than the social media space now. Uh, but we, we used to have paid performances. Then after that, um, then after that, uh, we had a song called, well, before that we was on 106 and Park. So after Mickey D's, we was, we ended up getting on 106 and Park because we grew a MySpace following. Uh, and we used to promote our MySpace like crazy. And if anybody don't know what 106 and Park is, I guess that just shows my age. I'm 32. Uh, but 106 and Park was a very popular song, BET. And uh, every Wednesday they would have Wild Out Wednesdays and they also used to do Freestyle Fridays. We got personally invited to, to perform Wild Out Wednesdays. We won by a very large margin against the competition. Then we blew up more on MySpace after that. Then One Sister Park called us back for the All-Star program because so many people liked my rap group. So we was very popular where I'm from. And uh, then we ended up catching a bigger break. Now, by the way, each one of these times we thought we was gonna we were gonna be the next big thing. Yeah, because uh, we were because we were so popular where we from, and I felt like there was pressure on us to become the next big thing because everybody from where we from thought we were gonna be the next big thing, and then we thought it happened because we ended up getting on the most popular radio station, uh, rap hip hop radio station in my area. I had a song called "Shake for the Money." I used to make very very secular music. Uh, fun fact: the "Shake for the Money" song, even though it was about strippers, it did not have a curse word in it. 
Uh, okay. That's a, that's a first. That's a first, but yeah. Um, so yeah, we made some called Shake for the Money. Obviously, by the title, you should know what it's about. Uh, this song ended up being the number one song on a radio station uh, in my area. It was one of the top songs in North Carolina, period, outside of my the outside of the local the triad area in North Carolina, if you know anything about North Carolina. Uh this only ended up going number number one. Um I, we started getting paid shows. I mean, when I say paid, it was like four, it was four of us in the group. We was getting paid like fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars per show. Um we started performing everywhere. And this was after the Soulja Boy thing. So we started performing uh Soulja Boy we thought we thought we, we caught a big break. But then this time we thought we really caught a big break because now we was getting paid before, you know. And um then we kept having songs on the radio, kept having big songs, labels calling. We I've turned down, I don't know how many record deals. Um and then Long story short, all that didn't go through. It's a longer story that could be a Netflix documentary, but we probably on the time schedule. Yeah, I started making EDM music uh, under my name King Va- King Vodka. I used to drink a lot of vodka back in the day when I used to, when I used to be more worldly. And my King Vodka music ended up going viral on Vine. Um, and I said, okay, now it's officially over. We definitely made it. You know, I thought I made it so many times in my life. I, and, and and I had a song uh, called Stranger that went viral on Vine, that went viral on Musically, which was TikTok before it was called TikTok. And it was getting, like, matter of fact, the song today probably has, I think, 6.5 million streams. My other idiom song has 2 million streams. Um, so I had to went viral, but they wanted me to perform at an LGBT event. And uh, I said no. And then my management pretty much stopped working with me from that point. Um, and then, uh, like, during this time, I was still a Bible dumper. I was just lukewarm. You know what I'm saying? So I would Bible dump in the day, get drunk at night, you know, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Making the that, transition. Yeah, 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 in the transitional period. Well, I, and, I think uh, everybody has a transitional wait, period. who's transitioning? <laughs> <laughs> Not that type of transition. Hey, but, I, but I do think, you know, to, t- to speak, you know, very in reality, right? One of, my, one of my gifts is I try to find and observe how, how it works in real life. One day you just don't wake up and say, I'm done with everything I've ever done in my whole life, and True. I'm following God, or I'm following Buddha, or I'm following Allah. It's a, there's a, always a transition where you start picking up the book. You start yep. seeing things that you recognize in yourself in that book, and you know you're a little disgusted with yourself if we're being honest, right? Very disgusted, actually. You know, and then you start creating a discipline around that, and and, and as it starts to fade, like you know, what you describe as worldly, I kind of call in your social scene, as you start to pull away from your social scene and you start moving into another social scene, you know, you, you start becoming, I don't want to say judgmental, but you become more, you become more strong because your discipline has now pulled you out of these scenarios that you didn't like seeing yourself in. Well, people call it judgmental, but I don't even care if it's called that because I'm not, I judge myself first. So the way it works is once you realize what you've done and how you came out of it, you see other people in the same situation and be like, yo, I was in the same place as you. I'm telling you, it, it ain't right. And some people are worse than me because even, even when I was more secular, I was still viewed as the goody two-shoes of the group. Meaning like, like even, you know, I, I'm celibate now, but before I became celibate, I would have sex, but not with a million girls. Only with a girl I had to actually like you. Versus my friends, they were like, whoever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and get me, it. I always had a standard. You know, it was just it was just my standard instead of God's standard in the beginning. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, like I never I never was a liar. I always viewed integrity as a very important thing. 
I mean, but but I had to learn. So that's why when I talk to other people, people think I'm all oh, Bryson's so judgmental. It's like I told myself the same thing though. So it's like you know, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't have became who I am today with a soft message. It had to be that that tough love, maybe because the culture I grew up in. I don't, you know, what I'm saying that the the tough love is what gets it, not the not the softness. But then I found God. Then I decided to truly like give my my art, the gift God gave me. I started giving that back to God. So, so, so what does the Bryson Grace see now for the 2024 presidential race? When, you know, Trump is here, he ain't going nowhere. He's basically mm -hmm. kind of pulling a, uh, it feels like to me, this is his, his, his swan song. He's either going to win and, and win and, and stay around and be the president or he's going to lose. And he's going to probably, you know, fade off to the sunset. What do you think? I'm going to give you my political analyst response. And I'm going to give you a personal one. Um, sure. A political analyst response. Um, there's there's an issue with Trump. The, this election will be confusing for many reasons, according to the numbers, because Trump does not have all of the people he had in 2016 or 2020. Um, he lost a lot of people uh, for pushing the jab. He lost a lot of people for, with the LGBT stuff. He lost a lot of people pretty much becoming more soft on abortion. Um, and he lost some people for endorsing bad candidates. Uh, now, what percentage of those people will literally not vote for him if he win the primaries? We don't know. That. That's the confusing part. But there's a lot of people that voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020 that say they would never vote for him. Now, the positive side is, according to all numbers, a lot of minority groups are actually starting to move towards Republican. And I think with Trump on the ballot that'll actually rise more. So can he make up what he lost um, with those groups? It's very, very possible. Because that's somebody from the black community that go back to the black community. Everybody's like, you right. Like, black men are really like, bring Trump back. Now, black women are more, you never know, obviously, because women are different. Um, but black with black men, you know saying, and Hispanic and Hispanics and Asians, they all have had an increase in support for Republicans. So we, we didn't know how that panned out. I don't think DeSantis can beat Trump in the primary because of Trump being indicted. I think Trump being indicted makes him the villain of who conservatives believe to be deep state. So the, in their mind, deep state is attacking Trump, so Trump is the best man for the job. And I think when you indict him, it just hypes people up more. I think people are too hype about it now. So I don't think I think because of these things, I don't think DeSantis um, can get Trump. I think DeSantis will whoop Trump in a debate because I don't think there's I think the only thing that Trump has an edge over DeSantis over debate wise will be foreign policy. But I don't think it'll matter. I think DeSantis, I think they can debate. DeSantis will whoop him in a debate and Trump will still win because of him getting indicted and things like that. Now, can Trump beat the Democrats if we're using what happened in 2020 outside of what we all believe to have happened? If we just Let's say it repeats itself. Trump doesn't have the same base. He may have had, he may have increases in other spots, but if we use in 2020 as any reference, Trump needs all of what he had and more to beat the Democrats. And I, I, to be frank, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he got it. I don't feel like I felt sure in 2020. I don't feel sure that he'll win right now. Right now.